Hello and welcome to another episode of Marriage in a Tightrope. I'm Alan. And I'm Katie. And we're still married. This is part de. That, I don't even know if that's two uh, in any language. Duh. 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 Um, it's French. I got to think of Hamilton to remember the French. Anyway, this is episode number two of, or part two of Word of Wisdom. The first that you may or may not have listened to was with three other couples about their experience. And now Katie and I wanted to take this opportunity to talk about our personal experience with the Word of Wisdom and share some... I don't know. I don't know if wisdom is repetitive or the right word, the wrong word, but share some lessons learned about that. I think we've given bits and pieces here and there over other podcasts, just right. a little bit about this, our story, but we thought we would tell it in full as well as, yeah, give, give some advice that we are so much wiser now. Yeah. <laughs> you, as you listen to this, you may, you may remember or recognize a few of the stories that we have told over the last two and a half years. And that's been, I think that's one of the more interesting parts of, of our podcast is being able to just follow along on the journey in real time. But we want to take all of them and throw them into one place. So without further ado, man, there's a lot of French in this episode already. Where, well, we can get right right into it. And I think the first thing that we want to talk about is kind of our previous experience with Word of Wisdom adherence and where we're, where we're coming from before getting into uh, a mixed-faith marriage or before I transitioned away from the church. So, Katie, what, why don't you start? And this could probably be a pretty quick discussion for both of us, but uh, maybe an anecdote or two of your upbringing as far as the Word of Wisdom is concerned. Uh, I think I grew up in a typical LDS home and I don't want to say typical because everyone has a different experience, but in my home, we did not drink caffeine because it wasn't part of the word of wisdom. However, we ate chocolate on a daily basis. (laughs) So I think I remember bringing this up to my parents, uh, when I was in high school because I wanted to drink caffeine with my friends and my parents said no. And I brought up the fact that we drank, that we ate a lot of chocolate and they said that was different. So that I got shut down pretty hard. I, as far as my high school experience goes, honestly, I had like this group of friends that were really, really good girls. And when I say good girls, I mean that we knew that we were good girls and we touted ourselves as good girls. So I don't mean that to be a derogatory in any way. We just obeyed all the rules our parents set and we never went out and partied or we just kind of stuck with our group and we had a lot of fun, but um, there was no desire for any of us to want to try anything. And I, you know, if any of you have ever lived or grown up in Springville, you'll know that it is like drug, drug city. I mean, a lot of people know Springville as the place to go get drugs. And it's so funny because I, I've never even like my high school, um, time, I had never even like, I don't even think I recognized what drugs smelled like. That's that's how naive I was, really. I knew that people did drugs. You know, we have our classifications in high school. And I just, I didn't know anyone, like, personally that was always doing drugs. And then when I went on my mission, 
one of the first, my first areas, I remember going to someone's house and they invited us in and they were doing, they were smoking weed in the, like in their living room and they were like rolling in front of us. And I was like, what is this? And my companion was from Las Vegas and she like rolled her eyes and she's like, um, Katie, this is, they're doing drugs in front of us. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I, I just like, and then from then on, it was pretty easy for me to pick out. And that, those were when part I of the, smelled. we were missionaries when it was the six discussions. So this, this would be, you jumped straight to discussion number five, right? Isn't that where the word of wisdom I think was? We stayed for a little bit and then we realized how high they were, which is probably why they invited us in. <laughs> <laughs> and then we like, we like left. Yeah. Tell and us then, about your God, man. <laughs> <laughs> Nosotros hijos de, de, de Dios. <laughs> um, yeah. That was a good Spanish high voice. Good job. Yeah. So. Anyway, I, I just, I, we like left right away. So that is really my exposure to drugs and alcohol was like non-existent completely in my childhood, my teenage years, growing up, nothing. I think there are a lot of people that are exposed to it. I think there are just as many though, who never really had exposure to it. Yeah. You know, my, my upbringing wasn't terribly dissimilar from yours as far as word of wisdom goes. You grew up in I grew Santa up in Barbara. Southern California, yeah, in Santa Barbara. And in my home, I mean, I remember my dad, he bought um, diet caffeine-free Pepsi and those like bronze cans that oh, yeah. they tell, oh my gosh, they tasted awful. Yeah. I mean, I just didn't like them. I don't know that a diet Pepsi with caffeine is any better, but yeah, I, I just... But we didn't, yeah, we didn't have caffeine in our house either. And obviously no alcohol or cigarettes or anything like that. And that wasn't really my, my vice, I guess, if you will. I was never really tempted or wanted to, to drink, smoke, do any kind of uh, drugs, eat meat during the winter or those things. (laughs) We'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah, right. So Obviously, you know, with Word of Wisdom, we can talk about a lot of the legalistic, what it actually says in DNC 89. And I think we're going to get more into that in the third part of the episode when we have James Ott on to talk about some some of those things. But in this episode, we'll focus on what traditionally today in the present we consider the Word of Wisdom, which is basically alcohol, alcohol, coffee, coffee, drugs, drugs, smoking. Yeah, smoking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those the tobacco, those things. Uh, and we should have prefaced this by, you know, this is Sunday morning, May 31st at 9 a.m. That, that we're recording. And I made Katie her her cup of Creo brew. And I made myself, I brewed myself a cup of coffee. And so I'm here. We'll get to that. I'm here drinking coffee while Katie is, is not. You, I mean, Creo brew is, is not coffee at all. No. But I actually really enjoy it. Yeah, it's nice. But okay. we'll get to we'll so, talk about a little bit about your high school experience. Yeah, I had a couple of experiences uh, that kind of paint the picture of where I stood with the Word of Wisdom. So once was uh, when I graduated, graduated, when I went from junior to senior year in high school, you know, the last day of school was this big celebration for us juniors because we were going to be the kings and queens on school again. Finally, four years has led up to this, and we're going to be on top and be the seniors again. So they held this big junior class party uh, at at someone's house, and like I'm, I don't know why Angelina was her name. I don't know why I'm protecting her. There's no chance that she's <laughs> listening to this. Uh, but I knew there was going to be alcohol at it. My best friend was also LDS, and we had never been. There were there were 
parties. We were close to UC Santa Barbara, which, I mean, our high school was as a party two central. miles from yep. UC Santa Barbara, from Isla Vista, which touts itself as literally ranking in the top five party schools in the country. Mm-hmm. So there was, it was very often, very frequent that some of the high school kids would go over to Isla Vista to party, and we never did. But this party was different because my best friend and I, who, who was also LDS, we were both in school leadership going into our senior year. And so we felt like, okay, how can we be a good example at this party? And is the good example not to go? And is it, it what, what do we do? And we decided to go. And I wore my dare shirt. <clears throat> Unironically, I wore my dare shirt. <laughs> and I made sure that I and had wait, some like scrub, scrub. I did bottoms. have my ER scrubs. Yeah. I wore, I wore the some... most fashionable in high school. Let me tell you. <laughs> I figured if you if you have a, a large stature, you might as well adorn it with really Bad tacky clothing, clothing <laughs> just to bring even more attention to you. So I wore my dare shirt, uh, which I believe was from fifth grade, and so it was very <laughs> it was very tight. Um, so maybe I wasn't obeying like the law of modesty or chastity that night, but but I was obeying the word of wisdom, and I had a I had a sprite can in my hand the entire night and i just made sure that that logo was pointed outwards and i would you know raise my sprite can when anyone would make eye contact with me so they knew that this mormon boy wasn't drinking alcohol it's very show off of you what i wasn't trying to show off i was trying to make sure i was very insecure and i didn't want anyone to feel like i was the one like oh my good oh look at the mormon boy he's he's doing something he shouldn't be doing and so I, I honestly, I, in that moment, I wasn't judgy of other people that were drinking. I didn't care that other people were drinking. You just wanted to make sure people knew that you weren't. Yes. I wanted to make sure people knew that I was not hmm. drinking. Uh, avoid the appearance of all evil, right? So I, yeah. just, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel... And we weren't there that long, to be frank. We were there for 20, 30 minutes. We didn't stay for a, a long time. I was a little surprised that the parents were... <laughs> the one supplying the alcohol of this girl. And I mean, it was illegal, right? There was, we were all underage. Were anyway, the parent, were the parents there? The parents would, I, I remember seeing them bring things out and then disappear back inside. Holy cow. Stuff like that. Wow. So, and I don't, I, and again, I don't think that that is a terribly uncommon and not a great thing. I don't think, but it's not a terribly uncommon thing in these situations when you're underage in high school and, Anyway, so I did want to say before we move on to the next section, um, uh, two experiences quickly in college. Still underage, uh, but I'm now a freshman at UCLA, and one of the first experiences that I had was freshman initiation on the volleyball team, where there's eight of us being initiated into into the volleyball uh, team, and the entire team goes to this, this big party, and there's a ton of people that are that are there uh to just party as a volleyball team and there's a lot of fans not i shouldn't say fans but uh, people that know other players on the team are there so there's a lot of people at this party at this um, player's apartment and part of the initiation for each of the each of the freshmen was to beer bong a two stories worth of of beer so it was a 20 foot long beer bong if you can think of like a funnel that you put oil for those that don't know what a beer bong is <laughs> if you put a like a funnel with a tube on the end of it and that's how you can get oil into a car without spilling it it's the same thing except you're the car the <laughs> the funnel uh, goes to a little pipe that fits in your mouth and you pour whatever you're going to drink into it and there's a little nozzle that you turn and it and it just dumps into your mouth i mean it 
like, oof, it's tough. It really goes down into your mouth fast. I've never done an alcoholic beer bong. But when it came to my turn to do it, here's the, the fun part of, I was very impressed by the UCLA players because they all knew my older brother, this helped my older brother was on the team. So they knew from three years of him being on the team that we did not drink alcohol. So I didn't even have to tell anybody I'm not going to be drinking. They came to me and said, you don't have to drink Alan. Like you don't have to do this. And I'm like, Oh no, I know I'm not, but I'd like to do something like I need to be initiated. So they ended up shaving everybody's head and they shaved mine too. Uh, different styles. One guy they did like Mr. T and one guy they did um, like a fryer tuck look mine. They bicked it. So they, and I had a goatee at the time. So I looked like Edward Norton jr. From American history X, which was hot at the moment. I looked like a flaming racist. That's what I looked like. All those, it, all those frosted tips that you carefully curated in high school are they gone. Were, they were gone. <laughs> I didn't have frosted tips. I bleached you my did. hair. I bleached my hair once for the basketball <laughs> playoffs. Anyway. So, uh, but I wanted to do this beer bong thing, and one of the seniors and I just went into the into the house and raided the fridge, and we threw into a blender an assortment of random stuff: mustard, ranch dressing, raw chicken, Tabasco sauce, all orange juice, just whatever we could find. About thirty-two ounces of just mess. And blended it up. They threw that into the beer bong, and everyone gathered around, and they all celebrated. Like, here's this this Mormon kid who's going to do this this huge beer bong full of nasty stuff in the in the in the fridge. And I did it, and um, it was disgusting, but I kept it down, and everyone cheered, and it was like it was it was kind of a fun moment. It was like everybody else can do what they're going to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and everybody celebrated everybody. And that's just kind of how how my college experience went. Uh, everybody knew I didn't drink, and it wasn't a problem. I went to you. It was UVSC at the time, and dang girl, you oh right, right now, right out of high school because I got a I got a scholarship there, and I mean I hung out mostly in the institute building to study, and I don't know. Again, really wasn't around it at all. Right. So um, that's the background. We just wanted everybody to understand yeah. kind of where we're coming from because, you know, we get married. Uh, we're, there's no, I don't know that we bought caffeine to even to be in the house. That, soda isn't really something that we bought a lot. We didn't buy soda, but I, I'll say that um, after my mission experience, like I had no problem drinking caffeine. Right. You know, like I. Members would often off, you know, all they would have on the table was Coca-Cola. Right. I mean, I just, I didn't, I. I recognize that as not being a big deal for me. Yeah. So I, I would say coming home from the mission, I, I was like more relaxed about caffeine. Not that I was uppity about it before, but I grew up in a home that didn't but allow it. So. Did you understand, was it your understanding that caffeine was against the word of wisdom? Or is it more of just like a, we're going to take it, take it one step further in this house and not drink caffeine? I think it was both. We took everything one step further. <laughs> we we wore church clothes all day on Sunday. Right. We we were um, extremely. We we took everything to the extreme. So I would say that it was both. I I understood it as that's part of the word of wisdom, and we'll get into we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, I I didn't quite. I don't know that I thought the word of that caffeine was included in the word of wisdom. It was. Like it was preference. just it was just one of those not even a preference it was one of those again this isn't the person that I was in high school but it was one of those 
no, I'm going to, I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to be the kid that doesn't, but I remember going to Taco Bell and having a Mountain Dew and I don't know. So it's not yeah. like I didn't have it, but it just wasn't in our house. I'll, I'll say this too. Um, to be fair, there are, I have siblings who did not follow this whatsoever. I mean, they were out with their friends at Seven Eleven grabbing a Mountain Dew or what, you know, what, what have you. Sure. So, I mean, I, Apostate as, as a lot of you know, I am like a rule follower. So if someone says not to do something, I just don't, I don't do it. And I like knowing where my parameters are. So I just didn't do it because that was the rule in our home. I think the rule following leads us into what I'd like to ask of, you know, why is the word of wisdom so hard? Now, this is an abrupt shift to, <laughs> to mixed faith marriage. The word of wisdom, what we have found is that it is a very hot button topic more than i mean we've we've brought up almost not almost all but we've brought up a lot of different topics on this podcast tithing uh we haven't done a garments episode yet but we've we're starting to plan that uh we've we've talked about church attendance we've talked about how do we teach the kids and what do you do about baptisms and those are all very hard things but man when we brought up word of wisdom whenever that comes up in our facebook group for example it just blows up. It is so difficult in our workshop that we did when it came to, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more details about that uh, later of what we learned there. But when alcohol came up, it was so touchy. It was so hot topic. Why is that? Why is the word of wisdom? What do you think, Katie? Why is it such a big deal? Um, <clears throat> I think one of the things that is so difficult surrounding it is you know look at our look at what we just talked about about how orthodox we were in high school in in college how purposeful or intentional we were in not to do those not to do any of those things so all of a sudden when there's a shift and one and alan says to me you know, I'd like to drink coffee or I'd like to drink alcohol. I I think, holy crap, we're like 35 and now you want to do it? I mean, you've, you've abstained from this for how long and now all of a sudden <clears throat> you're interested in it? Like in a way... I feel like it's it's like you're just going to throw it all away. You're going to throw away the last 35 years of this commitment you've made. On some level, it's that. Right. On another level, it's my spouse is changing, and and I cannot stop that train. And it's really difficult for me to see that he's changing in ways that I don't necessarily agree with. Um. There's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of worry. There's just what ifs, so many what ifs um, that we will um, go into. But I think that those are just off the top of my head. A lot of things that uh, worries and doubts, like worries about, you know, can he control this? How does he know when he's drunk? He doesn't know anything about alcohol. You know, one of the big things is. Um, your your dad your dad was killed by a drunk driver yeah the the driver took prescription medication that was not hers and then had alcohol on top of that and killed alan's dad and and i just 
it's hard for me to fathom, like, why would you ever want to go to that? Why would you ever want to try any of that? And so that's just like, uh, I, I mean, that's just like a lot of things that are floating around. Sure, sure. Do any of those ring true to you? No, they do. I think that those are all, those are all extremely valid and helpful things to know that are going through your head when all this is going on. You know, I'd look at the word of wisdom and think, you know, is there, is there another physical in front of your face reminder of your spouse's change than holding a cup of coffee or holding a beer? I mean, even, I even mean, garments as well. Yeah. I was going to say, we'll even, get to that. In yeah. Another. But, but even, even taking garments off, like me sitting in front of you, I'm in a t-shirt and shorts. You don't know, like you, you, you can't see your well, shorts are pretty short. They are. I'm wearing, <laughs> I'm wearing booty shorts today, boys. Uh, so, I mean, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's not even garments isn't a constant reminder. Every time you look at me that this is something that's changed. Sure. Um, going, uh, there's so many other aspects of, of changes that, that can be made, not paying tithing anymore. Well, you know, that's, that's already can be a pretty private thing. And if one spouse does it versus the other, and if I'm the one that does it, which I wasn't, you were the one that actually physically paid it mm-hmm. even when I was believing, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's not a constant, constant reminder, mm-hmm. but the word of wisdom is, mm-hmm. you know, there's no, I'm holding my cup of coffee right now. And I'm just opening the cup. I won't be dramatic and take a drink, but it's, it's a reminder. It, there's no doubt about it. And I think part of that is, you know, add to the complexity of how difficult this can be for the spouse that remains uh, believing or in or adhering to the word of wisdom is especially if you have children and little children, this is a really big point that I feel really adds to the stress of the word of wisdom that if you aren't already on the same page as a couple of how you're going to approach teaching your kids, not just about the word of wisdom, but about the changes that are happening in your marriage and in your, in your faith, the differences of faith. If you don't, if you're not on that same page and you haven't already presented that united front of, I believe this way, she believes this way, uh, mom believes this way, dad believes this way. And it's okay that it's different. If you haven't already gotten to that place, the word of wisdom can be even more stressful even even being even being in that same realm, Alan and I disagree. We don't have alcohol in the fridge, um, as an example, because that's not something that I want. We may disagree on that, so Alan keeps, you know, just a small bottle stashed in his office in his mini fridge, away where the kids really can't see it. Uh, so and, and- I, I I don't want to say that even if you're on the same page, you don't disagree with things you definitely do it it does make it easier when you've presented that to the kids but you're still gonna have to negotiate those really really difficult tenders of what do we do now so i think it's important that we talk first about the progression you know um the first thing that alan started with was coffee how how long after your faith transition did you start drinking coffee? Man, it was probably it's probably eight to ten months. So if I'm thinking about about it, uh, yeah, it was you know beginning of 2017 that I went down the rabbit hole. By four or five months in to 2017, I was pretty conclusion conclusive about truth claims. I, I should say. 
And it wasn't until late 2017 that I, that I started drinking coffee. You didn't tell me that you were going to drink coffee. I didn't. It wasn't one of those things that I, and, and I mean, this is not an excuse is just the situation that I was in is I found myself at work every day and there's a coffee machine there. I don't know how to, I literally don't know how to make coffee. I remember being working at a movie theater in high school and we had a coffee maker. Nobody. I mean, how many people do you see drinking coffee at a movie? Nobody. And I remember one time this guy asked, can I'd like to order a cup of coffee? And I was like, what the heck? How do I make a cup of coffee? Fast forward 20 years, two years ago. And I don't, I still don't know. I didn't know how to make a cup of coffee, but I'm at work and there's a coffee machine and you press a button and there's the coffee. And like, that's how I started having my first cups of coffee was just when I'm at work, I'll just throw it into a cup and see what it's like. So you start drinking coffee and in some ways, um, that outs you because you didn't do it before. And I mean, wherever you are in, on the scale of belief system, if you're LDS and you see another LDS person drinking coffee, you think to yourself, oh, something's going something's on. Something's going on. Is it, what is that called? Virtue, virtue signaling? Is that's that what right. that's called? Well, that, I mean, that's how I would find other, other, either former LDS people is, and I've told that story a few times is I would see someone getting a cup of coffee at the, at the coffee machine at work. And I would ask them, uh, what's your deal with the LDS church? And like, that was my method of finding people to talk to. <laughs> so awkward. It is. It's not water cooler talk. That's co- coffee machine talk. You I got, guess. You, yeah. And you got to know that everybody already knows me as the awkward guy at work. Then I'll just, I'll say whatever. And you know, at the end of meetings, I say, I love you instead of see you tomorrow and things like that. And so me walking up to people saying this isn't, isn't quite a surprise. And I got a few people that are like, no, I still believe. There was like two people that said, no, I'm still, I still believe as they sip their coffee. And I'm like, okay. Which they totally, that's, that's totally fine. valid. Yeah. Yeah. I was ready to jump into like, oh, so why did you leave? And they haven't. <laughs> yeah. So how long was it before you told me that you drink coffee at work? I don't, do you remember that conversation? Cause I don't. It was probably, it was after we started the podcast. Yeah, that, that that tracks. Yeah, so, you know, maybe three or four months after we start, started the podcast, I remember that Alan said to me, you know, um, I've been talking to people at work. This is how you framed it. Um, people who have also left off the church. And I remember saying, oh, really? How did you find that out? And he's, he's like, well, at the coffee maker. And I remember thinking, wait, you haven't told me that you drink coffee. Like, I didn't know that about you. And... So then I'm sure we had a fight <laughs> because that's how usually everything started is in a fight. Yeah. And then, um, and then for a while, you know, I, I was pretty upset with him, but he still drank coffee. It never in front of me, always at work. Um, and then really no other, no other times when, um, we were all together and then, uh, something changed where Alan decided he okay at the time too i'll say this alan alan also really loves monsters i mean like alan would go through and i'm saying because you're reformed right right now you haven't been drinking any i'm 11 days in that's i'm abstinent everybody (laughs) uh you would drink like two a day and it was really really bad for you yeah well i had i had my caffeine threshold if you are if you've drank a lot of caffeine before whether it's diet coke or whatever you it starts to not do anything for you like katie and i joke 
even to this day, I can drink a 44 ounce of swig diet, Dr. Pepper, and Katie will drink half of that. She'll be up all night and I'll fall asleep five minutes before I would drink a monster as my plane was taking off, um, for like a work trip. And I would be asleep two minutes after I drank it. So it, 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 we have we have a few theories about it. I think Alan's got like I don't know like adult ADHD or something. <laughs> well, yeah, but also I mean that's you mean, as you drink as you drink caffeine. I mean that's one of those there are still consequences things. I sure. no longer believe believe that caffeine is a sin or that coffee is a sin, but there certainly are consequences. There are there are people that don't believe it's spiritually wrong to drink coffee, but they won't do it because because they don't want to be dependent on something. Okay, so let's talk about the dependency because that's the reason why you you that's the reason you gave to me why you wanted to to start having coffee in the home. I do recall that. Because Alan felt very dependent on his monster drinks to just get him through the day. And he, you know, we we talked about things that were healthier and coffee is healthier for you than than monsters. Mm-hmm. And so he said, you know, what do you think about me? bringing them into the home, bring coffee into the home. And I think at the time, I, 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 I remember saying, well, you know, it's healthier for you. And I wanted him to stop drinking the monsters so he didn't have a heart attack. And at this point, he had been drinking for almost a year of coffee at, at work. And I was a little hesitant, but we did talk through it. And so Alan ordered like a coffee grinder. Yeah, I ordered a, a grinder. Um, I ordered French press. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know why. I think I went that route because I had found a few friends that were kind of coffee connoisseurs and they like, they don't get Keurig cups. Those are, they're wasteful for the environment. They're also, <laughs> they're also, you know, not the highest quality that yes, they're, they're much quicker and convenient, but you know, if you're going to make yourself a cup of coffee, make yourself a good cup of coffee, get a French press get a grinder grind fresh beans so didn't wasn't there like there's like a coffee hour or something at your work where you learned all of this information yeah this i I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before but yeah we as i found more people that were drinking coffee most of which were not lds either anymore or ever were we formed this every friday we had this like this coffee hour and we made a slack channel called coffee coffee talk and there were like 20 people in it and for a few months we met and one of the guys had started his own coffee bean brand and was selling them and he would import different beans from different places in the world and he'd bring them to work and he'd show us this and different ways of preparing coffee here's an arabic coffee style here's a mexican coffee style it was really fun it was kind of fun to learn about it and uh and it actually kind of got known in some circles in the office as like this is the post-mormon group and that actually caused a little bit of tension (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which was unfortunate, but you know we drank uh, a lot of different kinds, and that's when I landed on uh, let's do let's go French press, and so I just bought a French press. Right, and <clears throat> I, I let me say this, okay? Even though we were on the same page of Alan should be able to make coffee in the home, this was after a while of him just having it at work. Even though we were on that same page. It, it just didn't prepare me for having it physically in my home. So it came, and the next morning, Alan gets up, and he makes it. And, uh, y'all, coffee, co- the smell of coffee is so strong. 
so strong and it filled like my entire house because we've got a we've got an old 1960s house so you can smell it everywhere and we got up does smell permeate more in older homes well i'm just saying it's a small space (laughs) oh okay we have a small space so uh, anyway we all got up and the kids come into the kitchen and i don't know what i was thinking like I was like, I didn't want them to know that Alan was drinking coffee. And so Zara, bless her heart, comes in and she starts dry heaving. She's like, what is that smell? It smells awful. It smells horrible. And I actually am on the page of Zara. I'm like, oh, it reeks. This is so bad. And the boys are like, it smells kind of good. And I was furious i did not want my kids to know i did not want my my kids to know that alan had like was making coffee for himself that morning i was really mad i i just wasn't prepared for that i guess i in my mind i thought oh he'll be making it before anyone gets up and no one will know and we'll put it in the cupboard and and when in fact he made it everyone knew and the smell like was in was permanently in my cupboard. Yeah. And that was really hard for me. So I just want to say shout out to those of you who who like even if it's not a surprise, you know, when it's a surprise it's a big deal, but also when it's not a surprise, it's still a big deal. It there's still like a visceral reaction to it. So that that was that and then um I think Alan knew that it was really hard and so he tried to make it I think you went out of your way to try and make it not when we were like all there together. Yeah, it was, you know, you understand, especially at the beginning, and this applies to not just coffee or the word of wisdom, but in the beginning changes, especially those that are, you can easily see, are very hard for your spouse, for your parents, for your siblings, for your kids. And so it's not that you want to hide those things or put them away and hide part of who you are now. But it's, okay, what can I do to make this transition a little bit easier? And so one thing that I did was, um, you know, the coffee beans come in a bag. And to be frank, the bag, it does not hold the smell very well. It kind of leaks out. And so I found some Tupperware that holds that smell better and dumped the beans into that. And that helped. Uh, We've never really even talked about that. But that's why I made that change. And then I... The cupboard that we keep the coffee in, I put that Tupperware of beans all the way at the top of the cupboard, which is a reach for me to get to. It's not to keep it out of the hands of the kids and, oh, what's going to happen if our kids get to the coffee beans? That's not the concern. It's, it's There's a noticeable smell difference of putting it at the lower shelf versus the taller, taller shelf. Right, because every time you would open it, it'd be it just, just wafts. Yeah. And, and I understand that... I enjoy the coffee, I enjoy the smell, but Katie doesn't. And it's not a pleasant thing for her to open that cupboard and get this waft of coffee. So I'm going to minimize it the best that I can. Right. And I really appreciated that in the beginning. Now it's not, you keep it, it's in the bag at the lower level. No, it's not. It's in the Tupperware at the very top. Well, I mean, I think either way, I still smell it when I open it. It's, but to me, like now it's been enough time and our kids are used to it and I'm used to it. So it just isn't, it's just not really a thing anymore. And can you talk about that just really briefly? Because I can imagine that some, some spouses that are listening, uh, you don't want to get used to it. You don't want to get used to 
something that you don't believe in being in your home. So that is there there I could imagine that there are some spouses that are very fervent in their belief right now listening and saying like no I don't want this in my cupboard because I don't want to end up feeling like Katie. I want it to be a problem. I don't want to feel like it's okay. Cuz we've talked to a few people that that kind of feel that way, right? Right. I think that this I mean, all we can say is for me, this is what we've, we've done or what's worked, or this is how we feel. I can't, I cannot say what anyone else feels or how they act or perceive things. Maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe it it is a big deal. It was for a little bit for us. And I just need everyone to know that the trajectory that Alan and I are on does not have to be the same trajectory as you. Uh, but in the same breath, let me say that um, living in a mixed faith marriage where you have two loving spouses, it requires some some level of negotiation with them, right? So whatever that might be, on whatever level that you're comfortable at, you'll negotiate those those hard, difficult things. For me, Alan and I have been able to successfully, I think, negotiate coffee in our home. Yeah. Um, The same goes with alcohol. So if you're out there listening, just you have all the power. You can, if you and your spouse decide and negotiate that your spouse will just go down to Beans and Brew or Starbucks and get their coffee every morning and you're okay with him spending that money on the coffee and he's okay with not having it in the home, then that's what you negotiate. The best part of this is that you do not have to do anything our way, you just do it your way. And so we'll talk about the negotiation piece itself, but I I don't want anyone to think like, oh, I'm so much better now that I let my my husband drink coffee in the home. Well, that's something we've negotiated. We have not negotiated alcohol, so let's get into that. Does that answer the question? Yeah, I think you did. I think that answers the question. And and when we get further into negotiation, uh, you will say this as well, but I, it's on my mind now and I don't do a good job of not saying what's on my mind. Um, negotiations are not written in stone. They're not written in Sharpie. They're written in dry erase marker or pencil where something that is negotiated can be revisited later. If that, if that, if those terms aren't working for one party versus the other, we initially started talking about, I'm going to go to beans and brew every morning or whenever I want a cup of coffee, I'm going to do it out of the house. Six months goes by. You're sick of spending five bucks for her coffee when it costs 33 cents. If you make it yourself and you go back and you renegotiate, like there's, can we try something else or other way around? You know, mm-hmm. um, this is really upsetting our 15 year old daughter to see her father make coffee every morning what's the negotiation? Where do we go from here? Okay. Well, let's sit down with her and talk. And that's part of the negotiation. Oh, she still has a hard time with it. Okay. For now I'm going to go to beans and brew or, or I'm going to make my coffee in my office or whatever it's going to be. There's, you can always go back to that table and, and figure it out. And Natasha is um, amazing. And in, well, while we've been talking in our workshops about negotiating these tenders, um, it's it's a term she calls take it to the lab. So you don't feel like you have to, it has to be one way set in stone where both of you feel suffocated. If it doesn't work for you, try try something else. That's yeah. your right. So, I mean, that's that would be my advice. 
And as we jump into alcohol, the last thing I'll say about coffee, because as I am drinking it right now, something that we haven't really talked about, Katie and I, but something that I've am very conscious of is I know you don't like coffee breath. I know oh. you, and so I will not, as a joke, like go and kiss her hard because I have coffee on my breath. And I'm very conscious that she doesn't like that. And so I, I'm not going to throw it in her face. And if... If uh, because I'm drinking it in the morning, sometimes the first time I see her, I've got coffee on my breath, and so I'll like take a deep, dramatic breath in, <gasps> and go in to kiss her and just peck her on the cheek and then like run away, and so that she knows I can still smile. I know, and I and <laughs> my it's des- fine. sometimes my desire it's to kiss fine. you overpowers my desire to keep the coffee stench oh. off of your face. Okay, let's move on to alcohol, because um, I think this is a hot-button topic. That's what we're going for here. Yeah, you know, do we need to make... I mean, does everything that we said... And I'm sorry, I'm not letting us move on. Does everything that we said still apply to, like, green tea, black tea, cappuccino stuff? And, like, what about all that other stuff? I mean, anything that has, like, a coffee base in it, a mocha or a... I mean, I I actually have studied um, one of those tables that shows you what things are. Mm. Like, what a, what's a mocha? What's a cappuccino? What's a macchiato? What's Americano? Yeah. yeah, because I obviously have no um, idea what any of those things are. But I think that I saw some sort of... It was like a Starbucks guide. You know, how much water versus how much milk right. versus how much chocolate. Um, so I think that... That for me is all wrapped into coffee, um, green tea. <laughs> you know, I know what has been said about green tea. I didn't. I drink ice drinks, and I didn't know that there was green tea in them. But I also only drink them once in a while. I kind of put that in the caffeine column. Yeah, like caffeinated green tea. Um, I don't know why I separate coffee and other drinks like that sure. from it. but maybe it's the taste yeah it, i what i think about when i think about the these different teas and like categorizing this obviously we're not going to be the ones that tell you this is and this isn't right. against the word of wisdom of course that's up to you and your spouse to sit down and discuss and negotiate together let's get to alcohol because okay. i think that's um one of the sticking topics uh, i'm glad we'll that just- we spent so much time on other things because I know that the the group panel discussion that we had talked much more about about alcohol alcohol. right Um, I'll I'll just say this neither of us have any desire or or I mean do you want to vape or smoke is tobacco no tobacco is tobacco is not a thing not a thing I think I think Alan and I and most people recognize that it's (laughs) it's just really bad for you smoking in general right it's just is just really bad for you. So. Yeah, and yes, everyone does things that you know. Sugar's not good for you either. Right. But I right. just yeah, I no desire to to smoke. To smoke, and then um, what about drugs? Drugs. So, I mean, like, give me an example. Have you have you done any drugs up until now? For example, like gummies or brownies no. or like like weed or I haven't. Okay, uh, so I've, tell everyone what your your thought behind that is yeah i I believe i mentioned this on the previous podcast but we wanted this episode to be very self-standing about our story so i'll repeat it uh one thing in in our negotiations or in our discussions katie and i together that i've said is i will not keep anything from her and i will not break the law so i'm not going to break the law i'm not going to keep anything from her 
so if you were in another state, I would have to bring it up to you. I would have, we would have to have that conversation. Do so, you have, but do you have interest in that? In like gummies? Yeah, I'm interested in gummies. Hmm. I am. I'm interested in gummies. I, I am not to the point, like, here's the thing is that I'm not to the point where I'm not interested in like sitting in my hotel room while I'm traveling and I'm in Illinois and those things are legal. I'm not interested in, in like, Oh, I'm going to, this is the moment that I'm going to do it. Like that's, that's not interesting to me. And so for me, I haven't thought you were offered gummies. I was offered gummies on on a a recent trip. trip. So I was, I was, uh, yeah, with a few dudes doing a little spring training baseball before everything locked down with, because of COVID and I was offered gummies a number of times. And that actually would have been like a really perfect opportunity for me to bring it up to Katie and say like, Hey, I'm down here. Um, it was one nuanced guy was offering me the gummies. The other guy was very much in the church. We've been doing this trip for six years and then here's me. And I, kind of went through my checkbox of a have Katie and I talked about this and, and gotten to a place where that we're both kind of understand what's going to happen. And we hadn't, we hadn't. and B is it legal? And guess what? It's not legal where we were. It was not, it's not legal in Arizona. And so it, for me, it was pretty, it was easy ish to say, no, I'm not going to do that. You go ahead. And, and he did. And it was fine. Like, for him, it calms him down and it helps him sleep better. <laughs> and so that's what he did. He went to sleep and I stayed up with the Mormon dude and we watched a movie. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I, you know, it's... Go ahead. Go ahead. So, <laughs> I guess I'm just prepping myself. Like, we go to a state, say we're on vacation or something, and you, where it is legal. Mm-hmm. Do you do it? I wouldn't spring it on you while we're on the trip. If we were going somewhere just you and me and we were going to some state, I might I might bring it up, but before we went to say like, "Hey, this is something that I'm in- thinking about." What's your intention behind just to try it? I think that that's a big part in this again was talked about in the in the previous episode. It's uh I thought things were one way, they aren't. And so I'd like to try a few things. I mean, that's why I tried coffee because it's, you know, I wonder if I like it. Um, with alcohol, I'm going to try a few things. And I've learned. I never knew that I didn't like beer. I don't. I don't like beer. And so I don't drink it anymore. Like, I've ha- I haven't had a beer in a long... I think the last beer I had was in Boston almost a year ago. Let's... Okay, so um, we'll wrap up the drug category by just saying, like... We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm not going to... I mean, I, hopefully it's it's it brings you comfort to know no. that I'm not going... <laughs> that I'm not going to spring it on you. I'm not going to surprise you with anything. Right. I, I know that, but I don't like the idea of you taking... Doing any type of drugs. I... It really... That that bothers me, so... That's... And I, I take that into account. I mean, I, I do. I don't ignore that. I know that that's not... That's not an easy thing for you. I think that as... Yeah, I don't need to go into like... No, we don't need to go I don't need to go into... I mean, things, you know, gummies and medical marijuana, those types of things are becoming more and more acceptable. And I I know that a lot of people point to that as the world is declining in morality. And I don't know if that's how you feel, but... I, I don't really look at it as like a whole. I just look at it as... 
like you and I, and mm-hmm. that's just hard for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm open to researching a lot of these, a lot of these topics and the effects, and both long term and short term effects of of whether it's gummies or psychedelics or things that we thought we knew one thing about, and it turns out they're not exactly the way that we thought. Which but, we'll get into also with um, James Ott in the next episode. We'll, yeah, we'll talk a lot of the we'll medical talk more about drugs actually in the next episode. Right. So and that certainly we don't need to go any further. Yeah, now. we'll share more when we get there because that certainly fits into my thought process. Okay, so let's go back to alcohol. So um, we know that you didn't do any, you didn't drink anything before, like you and I got together and then at what point did you realize that you wanted to try and then how did you bring that up? Yeah. You know, for me, uh, I won't jump into a lot of historical, you know, church history discussion, but weirdly that that was a big part of it for me of just researching church history and seeing the, um, especially with alcohol, how alcohol was and wasn't accepted over time. That definitely played a part into, my alcohol journey, I guess you could say, but it was, again, it was as simple as the coffee thing. It was okay. Well, I no longer believe this is morally wrong. Uh, how could I experience this in a, in a normal everyday person, not abuse, not, you know, I, I have no desire to drink and go kill somebody in my car, just like (laughs) happened to my, to my father the same way that I wouldn't text and drive, but I still use my phone. I was wanting to, to experience what is this alcohol thing all about. And that, I think that interest peaked pretty, pretty early in the journey. Uh, so in summer of 2017, I likely was thinking about, about, about all of this. And I know that, you know, episode five of this podcast was my letter to you and, you know, part of the letter was that I didn't read on on the the podcast was the word of wisdom, um, some of the history stuff. And I've gone back and I've read like my thoughts about the word of wisdom as I wrote that. And as I wrote it, I said, look, this is the history of it, but I have no desire to drink alcohol. And so even looking back, I can see that I have changed. Um, even after I didn't accept the word of wisdom as from God, I have changed as far as my desire goes. So Alan, talked about that with me at the beginning and I thought okay that's great nothing's going to change and then um, I remember a conversation we had when he had expressed some interest in trying it and at the time he asked me what my number one concern was and my number one concern at the time was alcohol and how how we would address that how we would work through that um, if he if he drank, I, I was well. I was just really resistant to it. Um, there's a lot of fear behind behind it when you know nothing about it. You know, I've had zero experience with it, and so my fear was based in um, you know the thoughts that I things I've always heard like. Oh, it's a slippery slope. If you take one drink, then you're hooked. And another one was um, that you couldn't just like have one drink. Like you're going to become a drunk, right? So I had never seen um, 
good behavior with alcohol modeled to me. Mm. Everything I knew was from what I had seen on TV, what I had heard in the news. You know, people were arrested. They did crazy things when they were on drugs and alcohol. And I, I thought to myself, like, why would you want to do that? It, and it really has, it really was because I had never seen a good example of it. Right. Not one. That's a really, really good point. Because, I mean, I, and I had seen it modeled. And I've, of course, I've seen bad and good. You know, I've talked already a little bit about, you know, my college experience, but I remember playing video games in the dorms with one of my uh, senior, when I was a freshman at UCLA, a senior on the team. And they were drinking beer and they had bought Coca-Cola for me and they poured the Coca-Cola and offered it to me. And one of the seniors jumped in, his name was Greg. One of the seniors jumped in and said, no, 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 no. Mount can't drink that. He doesn't drink caffeine. He, w- I mean, it wasn't even a question that I was going to drink alcohol. It was, he's not going to give me the caffeine and he gave me Sprite instead. And I'm like, uh, okay. I mean, I was fine drinking a Coke, but they gave me the Sprite and there we were sitting, I'm drinking Sprite. Three of them are dr- drinking beer. And we're just playing, you know, I think it was like Mario Kart or something on the Nintendo. And it was, they weren't belligerent. It was, it was a positive alcohol experience, I guess you could say, without me. So I had experienced a few of those things before. Right. And I think just as many people who haven't experienced anything, any good behavior, just as many, I'm sure, have, have seen very bad behavior with alcohol. And whether it be an abusive home, whether it be... Um, a family member or friend. I, I, I think that we can say across all spectrums. And you're afraid that that's what it's going to turn into, And right? that's what they're afraid that it's going to turn into. Is that a rational or irrational fear, do you think? Oh, I think it's rational. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's rational. I think it's rational that I would not see any good behavior come from alcohol because of what I'd seen on TV or whatever. And it's rational to think like, oh no, this is going to be my... I mean... Well, because we've seen it in the post-Mormon space as well. We've correct. seen people go completely off the rails. Yep. And uh, my goodness, if I had like the the 10 tenets of post-Mormonism, I think my number one is don't just throw away the concept of sin and not replace it with something. Replace it with consequences. Re- replace it with responsibility. Because just because you don't believe that something's not a commandment of God doesn't mean that you can't hurt yourself or someone else by engaging in these things. Right. Right. I think that, um, sometimes they throw the baby out with the bathwater is the term that I've heard. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, it doesn't get replaced. And I remember, I don't, okay, I can't, I'm going to have to try and pinpoint where this was, but I do remember going to something that was like a post Mormon gathering and people had been drinking and it, like, I feel like, the behavior was crazy with one person in particular. And I thought to myself, like, holy cow, I don't know why, why would you want to go to this? Like, why would you want to act this way in front of people? And obviously it was taken too far, but, um, yeah, these are all like fears and thoughts I had. I, I, I just expected the absolute worst. So when Alan, after, after a whole year of talking to me about how he wanted to try his first drink, um, and we always joked it would be at the Eiffel Tower, right, in Paris. Drinking a glass of wine We'd, across the he table. Would, he would drink a glass of wine with me or without me. And so then last year, it was actually this, This it was around March. Around this time. Uh-huh, last year, um, Alan 
and I received some really good news. We we were buying a house in the neighborhood we wanted, two doors down. I mean, there was just like a lot of happy things happening, and it was the first like some of the first happy things that had happened in a while for us because of just so many hard things we were dealing with in our marriage that we wanted to celebrate. And so Alan went next door across the street to our Catholic friends. Well, I, I talked to you first. I said, <laughs> yes. I'd, I'd love to celebrate tonight. Um, I can get you some some Martinelli's and and I'll celebrate with a different liquid. And, I, and that's literally how I said it. And yeah, and um, okay, I will. I want to back up just a second sure. because Alan and I took a, a trip to Arizona, and we were at a baseball game. And at the game, they they had they there was a guy there, and this guy had never been Mormon, nothing. And so Alan and him started to talk like into a discussion about Mormonism and about how he had left the church. Oh and, my goodness, that's right! I totally and, forgot about this. And um, the guy was drinking like a beer, and Alan told him like, "Yeah, I've never had I've never had beer before." And he's like, "Actually, I think I'm going to go try it for the first time." And this guy was totally mortified. He was like, "No, no, 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 no! Don't don't just try alcohol like on this trip because you want to try alcohol in front of me like." don't don't do that and and alan's like no i think it'll be fine and i was mortified because i'm like why are you why are you wanting to try alcohol in front of complete strangers i'm here and and like a baseball game it was just such a weird (laughs) it was such a weird thing to bring it up and i was like not happy about it and i just thought i was like this is what you want your first experience to be i i just was like i was kind of mad and alan sensed that yeah and he got that and so he didn't do it and so that was like the f- attempt number one <laughs> and so and then a few months later is when all of this was happening and alan i knew alan wanted to try it, and i was i felt much more safe and comfortable ha- having him try it in front of me than having him do it in front of a bunch of strangers at a baseball game <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I love you, but you were a little bit impulsive that way. Like, oh, oh. I'll just try in front of everybody. Well, I mean, I, that's how I live my life. As, <laughs> as you know, my style of humor yeah. is like, let's let's make a weird memory and story that we can tell people. And I'm just going to push and push the envelope and, and try to get as close to that line. And that that's what it felt like in that moment. So, our, yeah. our oldest is just like you. I know it's the worst. So <laughs> so, so anyway, he he goes and he gets a little bottle, a mini bottle of what was it? Fireball. Fireball. And we cinnamon. S- we sit in the backyard and we pour our drinks. And it's funny. I drink my little Martinelli's and Alan <laughs> drinks the whiskey, and he's like explaining it to me like a play like, by okay, play. Yeah, it's okay. I can feel it in my mouth. It's a little sweet. It tastes like a liquid atomic fireball candy and then i swallow it and i can feel yeah it burns burns my throat and oh my chest is super warm now i was like giving katie a play-by-play of what it felt like dorky but i really appreciated that he did it like in the privacy of just the two of us we were alone we were celebrating something i knew he had been wanting to do it for a year and he waited and and it was just it felt like a the right moment for him to do it in in a really um easy easy atmosphere right and i wanted it to be a non-event i didn't want it to be this big thing and so i had one little vial that i drank it's not a vial 
I mean, it's a little, it's a little bottle. It's a mini bottle, Alan. I know. I've said vial before, and you always tease me when I say that. <laughs> it's a mini bottle. I, <laughs> Even I know that. And I sounds drink. like a science experiment. I had a colander of, yeah. So uh, I, I had this little bottle, and then I just wanted to just move away from it. And like, all right, you want to go inside and watch, watch The Office now? Yeah. And, and it was like, I, was it. I purposefully wanted it to just be a non-event. Right. But, um, and really we didn't have any other, we didn't, he never drank in front of me and, but something that he did do is like, he had drinks on the road, just like with a customer, like he would sit down and, and like they would talk about things and he would order like a single drink. Right. Yeah. And, uh, he did tell me that. And so I was appreciative knowing that, but no alcohol came into our home. We never had any. Right. Any. And then um, I'm going to talk about something that's really, really hard to discuss because it's, it is the first time that I had been involved with alcohol, um, at least in a group setting. So last summer, we went to Alan's, um, to Georgia, to his family's home. And he has, I just want to preface by saying I love his family. He has great siblings. And it had nothing to do with them as people. So I'll just preface it by saying that. So um, anyway, one one day we are at the lake and they are talking about like alcohol and sort of their funny experiences with them. And while it was funny to them, it was very threatening to me. Yeah. I, I felt is, like... This is me plus two siblings that had left. Three. Well, two siblings and a wife, like it was. Oh, right. And three. then one of my siblings' wife. So there was right. four of us that had left, three of which, and I'm the third that really hadn't, but three of which had really experimented with their, their alcohol. Right. And, and I, and I hadn't, I was like the lone wolf and it felt, I felt so awkward. Mm-hmm. I really did. It felt uncomfortable. And Alan's brother's really cool. He was like, does this give you anxiety to talk about Katie? Like, he's, he's also a therapist. A therapist. <laughs> and so he, he, he was like really, he was like trying to make it less, um, difficult just for me, but it was just tension. Yeah. It was, it was hard. It was hard to listen to. It was hard to listen to like the stories of other people and what they had, they had done with, while they were drunk. And it what didn't necessarily, it wasn't my Alan siblings. It was like other people that were with them. So they're telling me these stories and I'm thinking to myself, why the heck would I want Alan to drink? Like, this is so, I, I like, these are, these do not sound like great stories. Like they sound really bad. And this is just all in my mind. I'm thinking this and I'm having, I'm just feeling super anxious. Well, that night they had planned to do like a karaoke night. But one of the things that was that everyone knew was that there they were going to be open drinking. Yeah, there was going to be alcohol. There, there was going to be alcohol there, right? And it and was going to so, be at my brother's house, like not at a karaoke bar or anything like that, right? And and so, like the only experience I have had up until this point is with Alan drinking his little mini bottle with me on the trampoline, and that is it. I have had no other experience. Never, never in a group setting, never in my whole life, right, as an adult. So I was feeling extremely on, like, high alert, right, thinking about going to this party. And and I thought to myself, like, you know, maybe it's not going to be a big deal. I just need to get over it because they've made, like, the, I respect their choice to drink and have alcohol in their home. That's That's their choice, right? And so... And I really wanted to go to karaoke night because it'd be fun. So we got to his brother's house and 
I'll leave, I'll say that Alan's mom and oldest brother didn't end up coming. So it was and my um, oldest brother's the bishop, the bishop of that ward. And and then Alan and then Alan's mom of course and who so, is not the bishop of that ward. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um so again I I thought like I would have a little bit of reinforcement with other people not drinking yeah. and I and I didn't. It was me. And so we get there and no one was shoving it in my face. No one offered it to me. In fact, my one sister-in-law was awesome. She's like, oh, I make really good virgin pina coladas. I'll make you a virgin pina colada. And then, you know, for anyone else that wants it, I'll put rum in it. And, you know, so we play cornhole. We're all sitting around talking. But I am just like, I'm watching everyone <laughs> like drink around me and and I don't know I just was having such a hard time with it because we had all been on the same page and now none of us are on the same page like everyone is on the same page except for me except for, so I'm the one the that's out. out there yeah right I'm the one that's out um of me mainly of the group and while I still love them and respect their choices it's getting really hard for me because I've never been in this group setting before ever and so I'm like I'm I'm like having like a like a mini panic attack about it, right? And I know what you're thinking. Why didn't you just leave? <laughs> so I'll get there. My kids... So, okay, the other thing was the kids, the younger kids, the older boys were at a friend's house. Were at a like one of the cousin's house, not neighbor's, but cousin's house. And then my younger kids were there, but they were all in a different part of the house, like watching a movie and playing. So they weren't anywhere near the kitchen where they were doing drinks. So then... Um, so then the karaoke starts and then um all of a sudden like nieces and nephews are coming to the to coming over and they're ones that don't drink but then there's like everyone else has a drink and i just it was so awkward i was like oh my gosh if these were my kids i would i like just didn't know what to do i was like i seriously had a panic attack over yeah. it I was really upset, and so I didn't even stay. I left. I I picked up my like I took my little kids and and we left and went back home. And I mean, looking back on that experience, I I, I don't know how else I could have handled it better. It I was in shock. I I didn't, you know. I felt I was like high anxiety. I'm not gonna. I don't want to apologize for how I felt because I, I I think that I was feeling all of those things that were really hard, things I had never experienced before, especially like, I think it's one thing if you, you go to a, I mean, in Spain, you know, like the restaurants are bars. So you when you sit there, you see people like drinking and eating right. their meal and stuff. It's It's a totally different experience when you're with people who all were in the same boat and now they're not. And again, nothing against them. It was just all internally, like what I was dealing with. So I don't know. Alan and I didn't talk for like the next four days, three days. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was rough. I mean, I could pull up text messages that you sent me that night as you were leaving and you were not happy. I was not. And happy. I think what was going through my head was, was shrug the shoulders. Like, I don't know what else I could have done here. Like we, we had been talking about the karaoke night forever um, well, no, not forever. It was just, it was only a couple of days in that we had talked about it. Well, 
Well, uh, maybe uh, you had with your siblings, but I had not been clued no, into it. No, we may want to... I don't know if it's up to you if we leave this part in, but we we had months before we went out to Georgia, we talked to my brother Cameron on the phone about the karaoke night and would you be comfortable coming? There will be drinks there. And you mentioned to him on the phone, like, as long as no one asks me to, to drink, I'm going to be fine. Like, we had been talking about this karaoke, including with well, you, for a so, long time. I, okay. So, if we're going to backtrack, we talked once on the phone with him. Okay. Once. And then, um, right before we left, like, you mentioned to me that you wanted to have a siblings night where you guys all, like, drank. Would that be okay with me? And, like, yeah. they, they, you know, they wouldn't invite me, and that's, I said, okay. And then it wasn't until we were at the lake that we talked specifically about what was going to happen. So what I'm hearing is we could have we could have talked about it more. I we could have set expectations a little more. I I don't think anything would have prepared me for it. And that's so that's what I'm that's, leading up. What I'm leading up to yeah. is like I think that this is one of those rip the bandaid off moments. And and for us, it doesn't mean that everybody needs to throw themselves into a family situation to be able to witness their their spouse and their siblings to drinking in order to get past it. And no one but, got drunk. No one was belligerent. I'm, I'm just saying, though, like, it was just the situation. Again, it was like, like, call back to, like, where the coffee was. Like, I wasn't ready for, to have, like, such a visceral reaction. Same here. Right. I, I was, like, thoroughly shocked, you know, and... And was I throwing all sorts of judgment? Yes, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that I didn't. Absolutely, but I realize and recognize after that that a lot of that it was all internal. It was absolutely all internal because I didn't feel pressured. No one, no one tried to leave me out. If anything, they tried to include me by making things like a virgin pina colada. So, I mean, I, I recognize that that was all within myself, but. I tell you the story because I know how difficult it's going to be for some of you to, to deal with these new situations. And you know what? Like you can prepare yourself all you want, but if in the moment you feel upset or sad, or, you know, you have that sort of panic attack, that's okay. Like, and on the other side too, if you feel fine about it and oddly you don't feel weirded out or you don't feel like you've sinned or it's been a bad thing, good for you. This is this is just purely our, like, how we handled this one thing that was really hard last yeah. summer. Can I ask you this? Yeah. Um, part of the, like, uh, mindfulness Eastern thought is kicking in right now. Like, was were there lessons learned in that discomfort that you felt? Like, did that help you in the, in the long term? We've never been in that situation again, so I don't. I don't know. It does. I think that I, I, in for future times together, I think I'll be. Maybe I'll be more relaxed. Maybe I'll just not go. Right. Maybe right. that's the answer. Is so that I don't sure. hype myself up. Or yeah. Feel anxious I just. About I heard it. you talking. As you were talking, I I kind of recognized you saying, you know, I was I being. Uh, I don't know. If, did you use the word selfish? Was I being? Not selfish, but you said after the fact, like, was I judging? Yes, I was judging. So now I don't you self-recognized a few things that sure. internally were going on. Sure. So I think if I think that's important. Like if if you someone posted in our Facebook group just yesterday, like they were having people over to their house and they were going to have drinks, and this was the believing spouse, and she's like, I'm feeling really anxious about this. I'm feeling 
I'm feeling um, really nervous, really nervous about this. How is like, what do I do? And my response was good for you for recognizing some of these things you're going to feel. And now when you start feeling those things, it's not going to be a surprise that this is how you're reacting. Like if you would have known I'm going to feel angry and judgy and if I'm going to feel all these things, if you had recognized this is how I'm going to feel, you would have been a little bit better prepared for that maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. I I think that you can prepare all you want, but with that first time, you just don't know how you're going to react. Right. I guess what I'm trying to say is saying, give give yourself permission to react. However, however you exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Give yourself permission to, to react. However, you're going to react. If it's going to be awkward and it's going to be awkward. If it's, if you're going to be angry, if you're going to be sad, fine. But if you, Mm -hmm. but also you might feel totally fine. You may prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And it turns out pretty good. So, um, I think it's really important for the the post Mormon, mm -hmm. for the person on my side to allow your spouse to have those negative feelings. Sure. It's so easy for me when you have a negative reaction, like in that moment at the karaoke night, it's so easy for me to get upset and be like, and you did. I am living my life. You cannot. And I, I didn't say these words, but it's easy for me to be like, oh my gosh, she just, she just cannot let me just have fun. And, and I remember do, I do remember having the thought of like, we're acting the same. We're acting the same as if we wouldn't have drank. We're a, we are a fun loving, hard partying, even without alcohol family. That's going to be belting out the words to these songs, regardless of lemonade versus alcohol versus water. And so I do remember feeling that. And I just, I'm not allowing you to have your own negative experience. And that's okay. That if you, if you have a hard time with it, it's your first time around that sort of thing. And like I said, so much self-reflection in that I realized was just my own fear was my, was my, um, the fact that I had never been in that situation before. And the fact that I had like this like panic attack. And, and so it was, it was just so difficult for me and when Alan and I finally talked a couple days later about it, he thought the worst, he thought that I was judging them that, um, that when really it had nothing to do with anyone else, it had everything to do with me. Yeah. And and the family sensed that, and all of them were really nice and talked to me and said, "I'm sorry if you felt uncomfortable." And I mean, they were very good to me. I it really after a lot of self reflection, it was it had everything to do with my feelings. I think and not a big else. a big peace offering I remember is a few days after that night we went to Boston, and we went to a Red Sox game, and. I wasn't planning on drinking anything and Katie ordered like from a vendor walking by our aisle. She bought me a beer and I was like, Oh, well that's a really nice. But then and he didn't drink it cause he didn't like it. I really don't like beer, but it was, it was nice. And it was one of those, she knows that I love baseball and baseball and beer kind of go together. And I guess that's like an American pastime type thing. And, and I drank a little bit of it and I just really appreciated that offer and it was one of those like, hey, I know this is uncomfortable for us, but here I'm. This is the beer branch. This is the beer. Here's the beer branch instead of like the <laughs> olive branch. Absolutely, and I didn't like it. <laughs> and I didn't like it, and that's and that's fine. So, anyway, like that was a long. That was a long. But I'm story. glad we got into it because yeah. I think when we are able to talk through some of the difficult moments, it it's helpful. And hopefully, that's helpful for you to hear that um, if you have that type of reaction. 
So let's talk you're about negotiating. Alone. Yeah, yeah they're let, not alone. Let's, let's let's go on and, and talk about like how do you negotiate drinking the, and all those kind of the last those, portion of the podcast, right? right. So something that um, we talk exclusively about in week three of our workshop on a tightrope with Natasha Helfer Parker is we talk about negotiating the tenders. What and is the tenders? What does that mean? So tenders. Let's get into those. Anything that is particularly Difficult. Like you to think talk of a bruise about. that you have, it's tender when you That's poke right. it. I'm poking Katie's arm right now. Is so, it tender? Um, tithing. <laughs> she swiped my hand away. <laughs> tithing, garments, church uh, attendance, church attendance, milestones, sh- rituals, alcohol, drugs, smoking, mm-hmm. uh, coffee, any of those things would fall under that. Yeah. So, anything that you are once on the same page about that you no longer are can be a tender. And so, specifically speaking, we we talked about um, substances, and just what are some ways that you can negotiate those things? There is no one hard fast rule. Right, is something that you know we've learned is is these are ne- these types of negotiations are going to be happening all the time, and so um, one thing that we talked about is, um, and one thing that Alan has done really well is just modeling good behavior. So um, Alan, at the beginning, uh, he would clue me in onto when he would have, like, do that behavior. So, hey, I'm on a client dinner and I'll probably have a drink. And it's not about asking for permission. I know people hate, oh, no, I don't, I shouldn't ask for permission for my spouse. I am an adult. Yeah, it, that's not it. It's giving them, knowing that that is something that they hold dear. It's a tender for them. And giving, letting them know, giving them the courtesy of telling them, hey, just cluing them in into what you're doing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And along with that is, so in order to do that, you've got to have some good communication going on. Right. You know, I, we've talked about this in this very episode of Katie hasn't had positive experience. She hasn't seen that good behavior modeled with, with alcohol in her life. And hearing that, like, I, it just makes me want to be that positive, that positive uh, model of good behavior with alcohol. And so I was very willing to just take my time both to have my very first drink and now that I've had my first drink, I mean, we didn't really get into that. I don't drink hardly ever. I don't drink. And right now I'm doing this stupid 75 hard, which is 75 straight days of a number of different my, things. Mine has been two to three hard. And then I have to start over again. Yeah. Cause if you miss, if you miss one day, <laughs> you, miss you, one have, day, to you have to over. start over again. So it's like drink a gallon of water and two 45 minute workouts and take a, take a progress picture and read for 10 minutes. And one of them is no alcohol. And, So for the next 75 days, or I guess 61 days or whatever I'm at, I'm not going to have any alcohol. And that's fine. I I think over time I've shown that good behavior of I don't drink that much. And when I do, it's not a problem. Um, So that's that's been really important for us is modeling that good behavior. And then with the communication piece, um, it's important to express how you feel in a non-threatening way. So you could say phrases like, this is really hard for me because... It, yeah, instead of, you can't do this. Right. Like, this is really hard for me, and this is why. Another phrase you could say is, it's sad for me when 
dot 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 you go you go drink with your friends on the weekend and you don't spend time with me um whatever that might be you're gonna want take take the responsibility and the communication upon yourself express your emotion and your dissatisfaction in a way that is non-threatening to your spouse yeah one of the things natasha teaches that i really really appreciate is avoid a parent-child relationship and that's what you know you can't or and under no circumstances are you allowed to, you know, you don't give permission. You don't allow. That's what a parent and a child relationship looks like. A partner relationship or some of these terms of, yeah, you tell them how hard it is. Tell them how difficult it is. Tell them your preferences. I would prefer if you didn't have alcohol in the fridge downstairs. Um, something that she does in the course and dives deep into is she 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 lays out a good framework um, to work from and models to work from. And so once you understand the models and you understand the framework and the basis of why it's important to not have a, you know, a parent-child relationship, why it's important to express your feelings, it makes it that much easier to negotiate these tenders. So um, another thing we've talked about is to not be secretive because it usually almost always comes back to bite you in the butt. Yeah, I think that really there's only one exception here is if abuse is taking place. Um, being secretive about about abuse is, is problematic because the abuse can, can reoccur. But in the same way that I've made a mistake with at the beginning with coffee, and that doesn't end up helping, all that does is it, it breaks trust that we've built when I, if I keep things from Katie and it's, it's better to ask forgiveness than it is permission. Well, don't do either. Don't ask for forgiveness and don't ask for permission, right. <laughs> you know, have that conversation and, and let her know like, Hey, just so you know, I'm going to have a cup of coffee at work today. How does that make you like, how do you feel about that? And now it's obviously after a time, it becomes a non-issue. I know he's modeled good behavior. He's not drinking eight cups of coffee coffee a day. I actually prefer him drinking coffee to the monsters he drank before. Right. Uh, I thought I felt like those were super unhealthy. And so now it, it's not even a, a it's not even a it's a non issue. And he'll go have coffee with you know, friends or coworkers or whatever. He'll just say, Oh, we're gonna go grab some coffee and talk. Well great. That has right now at this point in our marriage that does not bother me. Like that's offer. something that I don't need to text you about anymore. Correct. Right. Cause we've kind of been through it. And I recognize that even though I have been, uh, I have, I've learned to not be secretive about those things that there are still things. It would be, I would be breaking that trust again if I had a gummy and didn't talk to you about it first. So I can fall into that trap just because you've learned that lesson doesn't mean you can't break that lesson later on. So just continue to remember not to be secretive. Right. And then, like we mentioned before, the big one is to just take it to the lab is what we call it. That's what that's actually Natasha's words. Take it to the lab and see what what works for you. Nothing has to be final, especially in this mixed faith space. You are constantly trying things out and seeing what works and what doesn't work and then trying over again until you get to a place where it does work and then you can revisit it in the future. You may not be on the same terms today, but that doesn't mean later in the future you you could 
you could be. So you're going to constantly want to go back to the drawing table and discuss, well, what went well, what didn't work well, um, what are you conflicted about? And then you just become more flexible in your attempt. And this is what you use in your negotiations. Again, going back to the coffee example, maybe I'm not I'm not okay with him having it in the home, but I'm okay with him getting it on his way to work every morning. And then, you know, after six months, I realized, oh my gosh, we're spending hundreds of dollars on coffee every morning and I am done with that. So why don't you go ahead and order one at home? Well, it smells bad. Okay, well, why don't you put it up in this cupboard? So baby steps yeah. with anything. And and I think it's 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 an important part of of working through things is to um, is to constantly revisit. And if if you get into a heated discussion <laughs> or you you're at a full stop with both of you on, you're gonna have your stance and he's gonna have his stance. And what do you do if you are at that place where you can no longer negotiate? Yeah, either person can call a timeout and I think that this can happen so quickly. You have the best intentions to sit down and have a purposeful conversation about, you know, at the lab of why don't we try this? Why don't we try that? And man, it can go from zero to a hundred so quickly. I think if you're listening to this podcast and you're in a mixed faith marriage, you've, you can think over the last week of three different examples of how that can happen, but you can call a timeout. You can say, I, I need a break. I just, I need a break. And it's best not to uh, every situation is different, but it's best not to take a break for three, four days. It's it's best to really say, let's take 30 minutes. And you go away for, for 30 minutes, come back and, and see if the emotions have subsided. Talk about why things have gotten um, heated and things like that. And it's okay to take a couple of days if you need to, but you want to clue your your spouse into the why? fact that you need why and yeah. why you need time to think through this through. And Alan and I have done this a number of times where I've said, I need a day or two to think about this because I really want to postulate, postulate, is that the word? Yeah. Formulate. Sounds smart. Postulate and formulate um, my position as well as um, how I feel about this subject. And some, some people just need to that time to process. So, Say, can we revi- re- we revisit this subject in a day or two? Um, just completely avoiding and not talking about it at all um, tends to lead to some of the actions like being secretive for the spouse because you have not been able to revisit it. You feel on edge. You don't know when you can talk about it. And so that spouse is like, well, forget it. I'm just going to go do it. And, and so... Not communicating about it and avoiding it, that leads to further problems down the road. Yeah. And if you, I mean, if you get into that pattern of being secretive and then the wife or the, or the husband finding out, then it's, then it's trauma and then you're further doing damage to your relationship. So don't avoid it, revisit it and talk about when you will talk about it. Yeah. That's very good advice. I think that in general, this is kind of like the, the the secular primary answer so something that you hear a, a lot but try to live the golden rule 
try to live the platinum rule and the difference between the two, right? Is the, the golden rule ever, most people are familiar with, you know, treat others the way that you want to be treated. The platinum rule takes it a little one step further of treat others the way they want to be treated. You know, I have a different worldview than my spouse. So if I can try to put myself in her shoes and like, how would she want to be treated in this situation? Uh, that really is a good way of just living your life, not just in a mixed faith marriage, but just living your life in general. And these are just a few, the last maybe 15 minutes is just a few of the tools that uh, Natasha and Katie and I talk about and, and try to help couples incorporate into their marriage in our workshop on a tightrope. So it's, it's again, it, it fits in. There's a, there's a reason why we dedicate an entire week to just this topic of negotiating the difficult tenders in a mixed faith marriage. And besides the presentation, I think that it's, it's also important to put it into action. So in our workshop, we do a tightrope in action every single week and we give them a couple of options on things to work on that week. And then we come together as a group and we talk about our successes or what was really hard and what, you know, what type of tender that we talked about or we negotiated. And that's, as just equally as important as listening is the action behind it. What are what are we going to do about it now? And I think most all of you know that because in Mormon culture we are very good at taking action after yeah. we've learned something. In fact, I think like detrimentally <laughs> that we we are, we expect an action after um, after like a negotiation or something like that. So. You know, this is why I feel like um, our first group was so successful is because they talked about things that they've been avoiding. They yeah. were they had the framework and the know-how to address tenders. And it was a very positive experience for a lot of them. And so, you know, before... Before we get to just talking about that, I, I we think we should kind of end this um, this whole episode by saying there's no one way to do something. Yeah, Alan and I have worked really hard over the last couple of years to get to the place we're at, and we took there are lots of times that we did things wrong, and then we decided, okay, let's try it again, let's try something else again. But I think. Uh, there were times where we avoided talking about it altogether. And there were times that we talked about it intensely. Um, you know, when you think about this big subject and word of wisdom, um, think about how you would like to approach it. Be thoughtful about it. Write down your thoughts and feelings before you sit down and talk to your spouse about it. Just, just think about your thoughts and feelings and use statements like, for me, this is so hard because of this. Maybe explain, if you don't already know each other's background about alcohol and drugs and coffee, maybe there's some trauma lying there in that you've experienced. These are all pertinent things that are going to help you in your marriage to talk about. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, our last episode with Rachel, right? Rachel had a very negative reaction to Brett 
drinking because she had a, a pretty bad ex- experience in her late teenage years with with alcohol, and the church helped her kind of correct that in her youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's very grateful for for the church for doing that. So I I, I agree with everything that you said, Katie. I think it's awesome. Uh, you know, as we are are wrapping up, anything else as far as the word of wisdom goes? I, I think we've it's been an hour and a half, and it's been great. <laughs> yeah, it has been, and thank you for allowing us to take this much time to talk about it. It was a big one. You know, when we asked on Facebook, it was by far the most commented on post um, because I think that this in Mormonism, it's so much of who we are is ingrained in the fact that we don't participate in any of these things so changing that it's a big deal um i want to talk about this this next part three we are going to be um, interviewing james ott who is a therapist and works with both um drugs and alcohol recovery he does a recovery program but um he also has just a lot of really good insight into um, the word of wisdom itself and kind of we we talked about how we're not going to get into all the historicity of it but we are going to talk about um, the basis of it because that's important to know for our next discussion so that's a heads up there but we wanted to talk about some of the clinical things that he sees um, as a therapist and I feel like that's an important piece as well yeah that fit, that fills a gap that we really can't we really can't fill. We're not the clinical experts. We're not even the health experts when it comes to these substances. So look forward to that. I, I think that this week three of our course of negotiating the tenders is probably the highlight for most of the couples that have been uh, in the course. And the second round of the well, course... Well, parenting is a big Parenting piece was too. huge too. That's Parenting's why we take huge. two weeks on parenting uh, in the course. But we know that you know the first course uh, is is just wrapped up tomorrow night. We have our last our kind of last master class. It's our bonus sex and intimacy master class, which I'm really looking forward to myself learning. That's been a kind of a cheat code for us is we get to participate in these, share our own experiences, but learn from Natasha as well. And we invite everybody listening here. Uh, pre registration is open to our second uh, workshop on a tightrope. You can go to Eventbrite and search for uh, workshop on a tightrope, and you'll find it there. Until June 11th, the pre-registration will be open. It's $30 off if you sign up before then. We're only allowing 20 couples, in, and we already have a number of signups after the first episode that we talked about it in, you know, just a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. So we do expect it to fill up quickly. That's why we, we are doing a, a second session of this workshop right after the first one. It starts at July 28th on Tuesday. It's going to be every Tuesday and Sunday uh, are the live sessions from at, 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 at 8 p.m. for 90 minutes. And after the course material on Tuesdays is going to be a an exercise called Your Tightrope in Action, where you get to put into action and have some of these deliberate conversations like we've talked about with the Word of Wisdom today. You get to have those until we get back together on Sunday to talk about how that went, to ask Natasha questions, ask Katie and I questions of how we dealt with these things. And I think the unexpected thing for us in these workshops was how much the couples learned from each other. Mm -hmm. So much of the learning was just sharing different ways of how they did things. And other couples would chime in and say, oh my goodness, that is so helpful. Thank you so much. And that's been just really, really cool to see to the point where the couples have set up, uh, 
a from Zoom the first call. session, a Zoom call, a recurring Zoom call every every single month, and we're going to be involved with that just to just to talk about how things are going. Yeah, and we've had we had a number of couples that were on the East Coast, and so we we had started at nine o'clock, and then we moved to eight thirty, and and now we realize, you know, with this first group, they were kind of our guinea pigs, and they, they helped us through it, and um, some of the just little particulars about it on. Uh, in recorrect and correcting um, things like not having it back to back night. So that 8 p.m. If you can't be there, or you know it's just too late for you, if you're on the East Coast or even um, even like Georgia area, you know, even if you're an hour ahead of us, Texas or whatever, um, you can f- we ha- we record everything, and the same night we release after we're done recording, we release the video, the presentation, and um, all of the course material so you can just go back and watch it at your leisure with your spouse we even had a couple people who their spouse isn't quite ready for the course but they wanted the course material they wanted strategies to talk to their um, spouse because they're in that beginning stage and that that was um, pretty hard for them and so they benefited from being able to I mean they weren't there with their spouse but listen in watch the course and then when they are ready um, they can go through the course together Yeah. and as far as we're concerned it looks like this will be the last one for this year most likely yeah, yeah. so if you are thinking that maybe you're not quite to that point you're ready yet but you would like to have the material because you may be ready later this year you can absolutely purchase the course and then you have access to it you listen to it on your own terms in your own way whenever whenever is good for you yeah the last thing that we'll say about the course before we end this episode is uh two things and it's money money centered so if for some reason you're not in a place uh, financially where you can pay for the course, let us know. Send us an email at marriageandatightrope at gmail.com. Uh, we can work out a few, couple of couples really needed to be in this course but couldn't pay up front all the, all the costs. We can come up with a payment plan, and we're just kind of treating those on a one-by-one basis. And then we were so lucky. Uh, a lot of the couples, a few of the couples were so lucky that there were a few sponsors that came to us, scholarship donors, I guess you could say, and say, we don't need the course because we're in a better place right now, but we would love to help those that are in a difficult position that can't pay for it. There were, I'm thinking of three specific mm-hmm. couples that would not have been able to take the course without uh, the the very generous kindness of of one specific donor. So if you're in a position where you do want to help out a couple that can't, uh, please let us know and we can talk about um, the needs that are currently uh, sitting for the second course and and we can set something up there. Yeah, we are just willing to work with anyone who um, would like it and needs it, but especially in this economic climate, may find themselves in a position where um, they need help. So please email us at marriageonatightrope at gmail.com. If you would like to just donate to the podcast, um, that would be amazing. Um, We take donations through our Mormon discussions org, and we can do it through that platform or you can just Venmo us at Marriage on a Tightrope all the money that um, we make we just put right back into the podcast 
and with our time and um, dinners and and everything else. And so, and I think dinners are about to start opening up again. So, yes, we're, we're you guys, I'm so excited. We've been like stuck in quarantine, and we've set up a dinner with someone, and I'm I'm so stoked. Yeah, if you are in the Utah area, just reach out to us if you'd like to get together to chat. Or if you, I mean, if you're coming here for vacation because you're seeing family and you want to go to dinner, um, I think the next couple that we have. Um, they live out of state and they're coming for vacation. And so we would love to, we'd love to see and meet you. Um, so much of the, <laughs> of the work is done for us in front of the microphone and online, but it's always just like a treat to see people and hear other people's stories in person. So we would absolutely love that. You can, um, follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. And again, if you, um, have, are interested in that workshop, go to Eventbrite and search for it. Or we have links both on the Instagram and my bio as well as um, on Facebook. Ellen made a post a couple of days ago. There's a link there. So um, just love you guys. I I hope that this episode comes across as not us trying to be preachy towards you, just sharing the really raw emotions and experiences we've had with such a really, really difficult subject. Hopefully this was helpful and we look forward um, to releasing in a couple days our part three of the Word of Wisdom. Thanks for being with us, everybody, on Marriage in a Tightrope. We'll see you again in just a few days. We hope everything's going well and it's okay if this is a difficult topic. You can get through it. We believe in you. We're gonna see that it was better that we grew up together Tell me you don't want to leave Cause if change is what you need You can change right next to me When you're high I'll take the lows You can ebb and I can flow We'll take it slow And grow as we go